0: So we're going to continue today in our sermon series of becoming like Jesus. And uh, for our first Baptist family, what we've been doing is uh, we say we believe that a, a better definition for discipleship is an apprenticeship.
1: When you start using
0: discipleship, it's like, well, what does that mean? And how does that look? And it means that you're a student and all this stuff, but how does that actually play out? And so we think like a better the definition for a discipleship is an apprenticeship, and so we're saying that we want to be apprentices to Jesus, right? Because when we are apprentices to Jesus, when you go through an, uh, an, uh, uh, an apprenticeship journey, you're probably following this guy around or this gal around with tools, and you're turning wrenches. That was my experience as a for the helpful in oil and gas field. I carried this guy's tool bags around all the time I think he would like intentionally put more tools in there even though he wouldn't use them. You know what I mean? And so I'm like following this guy around carrying the tools. He's like this is how you turn a wrench. This is how you change a flange and a gasket and all this stuff. And go get me a coffee. When you come back heat up my hot pocket. it was probably a weird prank shit for me, right? But that's why when we look at the scriptures, we see the disciples, uh, an apprenticeship under Jesus. They're following him around.
1: They're learning how to pray. They're learning
0: how to get away from solitude and silence. They're learning how to cast out demons and heal the sick. And they're learning how to teach like Jesus would teach. This is an apprenticeship journey that they have under him. And so what we've been saying is that there's three goals of an apprentice. The first one is to be the student, the the apprentice to be with the teacher, the apprentice to become like the teacher, and the apprentice to do what the teacher did, just with any apprenticeship journey. So we started off uh, late summer, early fall, saying the first goal is to be with Jesus, and then the second one is to become like Jesus, the third is to do what Jesus did. And So this is where we land today in our sermon series of Becoming Like Jesus. And really what we've been looking at is ways in which we can experience, in terms of becoming like Jesus, ways in which we can experience transformation within the core of who we are as people. Right? That we wouldn't just tidy up the outside, that we wouldn't just dress right and look right and say all the right things. We wouldn't just tidy it up on the outside, but that we would be transformed at the core of who we are as people. And we see Jesus even using this language if you, in Luke 11. He says to the Pharisees, He says, Woe to the Pharisees! You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. Essentially, what he's saying is, You're doing all the right religious things on the outside. If there's Like a list full of church activities for you to do, you're like checking off the box. You're doing all the right stuff, but on the inside, there's no transformation happening within you on the inside. And so when we look at becoming like Jesus, this is what we want to see. This is what we want to experience. It's just transformation happening at the core of who we are. I would hate it that if people came, and this is just me as a pastor, right? I would hate it if people came to the Mustard Seed for 20 years and they would say, well, how much have you changed? I'd say, well, not a whole lot. Like that would bug me if somebody came to church for 20 years and there was no transformation. No becoming more and more like Jesus along the journey. Last week, Adam, who just preached a wonderful word last week for us, he really looked at the tension in the scriptures of what uh, God has done in us and is doing in us, this great work that he's doing within us, right? When you read the scriptures, you see all this language of we're being made new and that the old man is gone and the new man is here. We see all that newness, new creation language that we see God doing and working within us. But then also, you see Paul saying, Hey, put off the old man and put on the new, that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so, again, the idea that I'm just going to come to church and fill a seat and there's going to be this thing that's happening within me, there's a a putting off that we need to be doing and a putting on that we need to be doing. There needs to be this working out of this transformation that we want to see within us. And even last week, uh, Adam looked at the life of Joseph, and that one way we can experience transformation at the core of who we are is that we got to go back in order to go forward. And what he meant by that is that sometimes we have to look back at our life when we were younger and see what were some formational experiences or moments that I had in my life that had formed me and shaped me that still follow me today. And so for you, you probably heard my story of growing up playing sports and everything I did was based off of performance. And if I did well and played well and did all the right things well, then I was received well and I was liked. Well, as you can imagine, that formational experience way back here has followed me even till today. To where I leave from a Sunday morning, I'm like, man, did I preach well? Did I speak well? Did I say hi to everybody? Dang it, I forgot that woman's name. Uh, I dropped the ball on that one, right? This performance thing still follows me. And so what Adam was talking about last week is that we go back and we say, God, would you heal me in this area so that I can go forward to what you're calling me to? Today, week three, this is a seven-week series, we're looking at journeying through the wall is the title of the sermon series, journeying through the wall, as a way that we can experience transformation in our lives. Now, when we say journey in through the wall, what we mean by that is that at some point in time in all of our lives, we are going to have a crisis, a struggle, a hardship. We're going to hit a wall at some point in time. And Jesus even says this in John chapter 16. I think we have it up on the screen. John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have peace. What is that word? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, we will have struggle and crisis and hit a wall, but it's through journeying through that wall that we can experience transformation at the core of who we are. I know for me, this has been my story. Uh, in 2018, we moved to Durango in 2014 to help plant the Durango Vineyard Church. I did a two-year internship. I did schooling. I mean, we planted the church from the ground up, and so I was everything from the nursery director to the children's pastor to life group leader to associate pastor. When you're planting a church, it's like all hands on deck, right? I remember going to a conference, and they're like, well, what do you do at the Durango Vision?" And I'm like, oh, I don't, what do I don't do? You know what I mean? It's just like when you're planting a church, it's all hands on deck. And so uh, we were in Durango, and in 2018, we started to get really homesick from Louisiana. At the same time, I'm wrestling with, man, as God called me to be a senior pastor at a church somewhere. And so I had a friend from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, call me and say he was stepping down and for me to apply for the senior pastor position. I said, okay, this is perfect. We get back to Louisiana, senior pastor position at the Baton Rouge Vineyard. This is great. So I, I applied for the position, and we're like packing up months, months go by, we're like packing up the U-Haul, and we're headed back to Louisiana, we're moving to Baton Rouge. And I remember we get to Lubbock, Texas. And this is the deal: I was supposed to go there, preach at the service, then I would get thrown into the interview process, and then evaluated, and then there was like two other guys ahead of me. We're driving back, uh, we're driving back, and uh, we get to Lubbock, Texas, and my phone rings. I said, Hey, I just want to let you know that we're going to go with these two other guys, and we're not going to go with you. I'm at a gas station in Lubbock, Texas, and I'm like, Hmm. We already have the U-Haul loaded up, okay. <laughs> we've already, I did my final sermon, we said farewell, we did all the cries and hugs and all that stuff, and I'm in Lubbock, Texas, here we go, you know, like we just kept driving. And so we get into uh, Baton Rouge, now mind you, Durango is a population of about 17,000 people, Baton Rouge is a population of about 800,000 people. <laughs> Quite a bit bigger. I grew up in a town, Highway, Louisiana, that was about the size of Palisade. So I'd never been in a big city before. And So when I got there, all of a sudden, my stress level was like this, because they would say it would take an hour to get from Baton Rouge to Baton Rouge. That's how long the track. That's how bad the track was, <laughs> you yeah. know. And so we show up to this church, and uh, I end up volunteering at the Baton Rouge Vineyard Church, speaking rather than being a senior, you yeah, know. Right. So that was weird. So we're working at a new job. My wife and I both We have a new house. We're in a new city, much bigger city. Our kids are in new schools. We came in late, and all the public schools had closed. By the time they received kids in, so we had to put our kids into a private, Catholic school it was the only thing that was available. And so I was like, this is just curveball after curveball. And I can't hit a curveball. So I'm like, what in the world? On top of all of this, I was really rest- with god are you calling me to be a pastor senior pastor to leave the church it was a real struggle season of my life for me i wrestled with my identity uh, i felt like i was starting my life over again at 35 years of age like really i'm 35 grown kids and here i am again starting over again volunteering at a church <laughs> Not on staff, Moses. you know, I felt like I went backwards in life. I felt like God was distant to me. I kept wondering, Man, did I do something wrong? Did I hear wrong? Did I say something wrong? Did I miss it God? It really you know when it really gets bad is when you start quoting scripture back to him like in like trying to challenge him. <laughs> <laughs> You said you'd never leave me nor forsake me, you know. And it sure felt like you did, right? I thought you said, your people hear your voice? I can't hear nothing, you know. I mean, I was just like, it was a struggle. It was a wall for me. It was definitely a hardship season. Our whole family got flipped upside down. This morning, I wonder about you. Like if you were to look at your life right now, what has your crisis, your struggle, your hardship looked like for you? What has your wall looked like for you? Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, and you're left, you're left wondering, God, why? Maybe it's financial hardship in your life, and you're left wondering. There's God's provision. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship in your life and you're plagued with loneliness. Or it's a health diagnosis in your life that hasn't gone the way you hoped it would and you're plagued with depression. Maybe even you feel like everything's going well, but internally in your soul it's like a dry land. (laughs) You feel like you're in the wilderness and God is so distant from you. I wonder if this morning you can relate to some of those. Even as you sit here, your wall in crisis or hardship or struggle comes back to you. Whatever it may look like, we all at some point in time have our crisis, struggle, or hardship. All of us. The question is, how can we experience transformation in our lives when we have a wall moment? How can we experience transformation at the core of when we are with, uh, core of who we are when we have a crisis, a struggle, or hardship? Today we're going to go to the God's Word. If you have your Bible or your phone, turn to the Book of Job. We're going to look at two different. Sections of scripture in Job, two different passages. The one is job, I'm gonna give you a head, I'm gonna give you a head start. One is Job 7, and one is Job 42. Go ahead and beat me there. I have two points I want to make this morning and one observation. But before we get into Job, I want to give you a little bit of context of Job's life, uh, just to catch you up. So Job was this man who was um had a good life. He was probably one of the most wealthiest men on the earth at that point in time. I think he had a family of like 10 kids or something like that. Crop and grain and animals and, and servants and all this stuff that you can imagine, he had it. And then there's this conversation when you read the book of Job, which is kind of mysterious, and you're like, man, what was all of it about where Satan comes to God and says, Job is only uh, a godly and righteous man. His character is only upright because you have blessed him. And so then Satan then uh, goes down and removes uh, all of these blessings that Job has. And one day he loses 10 kids. Now, I've known some people who have lost their pet. That's like a, a, a fur baby is what they call them. Do you know what that is? And it's been devastating. I've known people who have lost little children, loved ones, and it's devastating, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. Job here loses 10 kids in one day. He loses his house, his house, his crop, his servants, his animals, and then he begins to uh, lose his health. He's, 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 he's plagued with something like leprosy and boils. He shaves his head. He's in sackcloth and ashes. And then his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And then his three friends come to him and they say, surely, Job, you've done something wrong to deserve this. Just confess and it'll be over with. This is Job's story. Talk about hitting the wall. So the first point I have, and we've already sort of been around this mountain. Can I say that? We've already been been around this point already, but we all hit a wall. No one is exempt. In Job chapter seven, he says this. uh, Is it verse 16? Is that right? Now you have a out with the scripture. Look at it.
1: Joe says, I
0: despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. But that crisis. I don't know what it is. Right? Right. right. Amen. Yeah. Somebody give me a shout. Verse 17. What is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them? Every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone, even for one? Even for an instant. If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You see everything we do. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more.
1: As you can see in the text, man, Job
0: has hit his wall. He's in the midst of his crisis and struggle and hardship, and you can see the language that he's using. God, why this? And why that? And you know it's real serious. In the ESV, I was reading that they use the word "loathe." I loathe my life. You know it's you know using the word "loathe." It's serious business. I loathe my life.
1: This is the reality
0: for all of us: is that no one is exempt. All hit a wall. The moment that sin entered into the world through the fall of Adam and Eve, crisis, struggle and hardship came. As you look all throughout the scriptures, as we see all of God's people having a journey through the wall, we see Abraham leaving his family's land, we see Moses fleeing from Egypt to live in the wilderness, We see David committing adultery, losing a child and running for his life. This is why in Psalm 23, David can say, the valley of the shadow of death. He knows what it means. Jesus, even himself on the cross, cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one is exempt. This is what's so wonderful about Jesus as our Lord and Savior is because he himself knows our struggles. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is the good news for me and you. That Jesus empathizes or sympathizes with you and me. He knows our struggle, our hardship, our crisis, because he himself endured it as well. And so, if you're here today, you found yourself up against the wall if you're here today and you found yourself in a crisis a struggle or a hardship you are not alone he sees you he sympathizes with you But we all hit the wall, and many multiple times we hit the wall in our life. The second point that we have. So the first one is we all hit the wall. The second one is uh, journeying through the wall brings transformation. In, in Job, Job forty-two, he, he says, says, "The Job replies the Lord know that you can do all things; the no forces of your can be thwarted.'" You asked who is it that appears in my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said listen now and I will see, I will question you, and you shall answer me.
1: My ears have heard
0: of you, but now my eyes have seen you. As you move further on in the story, we see this transformation taking place with Job. Can you hear know how his language has changed now. He's saying now, oh, God, who am I? Job is, and when you read the story, Job has had this vision now of what it looks like of all creation, how all things work in the universe, all this stuff. And Job, Job is saying, who am I? St. John of the Cross wrote a book in the 1500s called The Dark Night of the Soul. And he goes on to say that this dark, dark night of the soul, this place of crisis and struggle and hardship and hidden to all this dark night of the soul, it is the place that our souls are transformed.
1: It's the place, place that we
0: experience transformation at the core of who we are. There's an article I read from the, the, the magazine the Heat, you know? And this is what they said about the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul is where we learn who you truly are and what you're capable of. It can come in the form of an illness or at the end of a chapter in one's life. We all know too well what's going on when a relationship or a job has run into us. We feel numb because we're just not to it anymore. It no longer serves its purpose. Essentially, the dark night of the soul is a transformation. But the process of shedding away the old to allow the new to come through. Journey into the dark brings transformation. Saint John of the Cross was born to say that
1: this. Place where our
0: souls are transformed, it's more or less the language that he uses. It's purified, purged. It's a place where our immaturity in Christ is worked out, and we become more mature followers of Jesus, whereas Paul say no longer living on milk. And this is the tension that we can have in this place of struggle. The tension, the tension that we can have when we, when the we hit the wall and this place of struggle for hardship is exactly. that we just want to get out as fast as possible. As possible. It, it reminds me of growing up um, my mom. We lived in the, in the woods, in the country, in Louisiana. We lived in the home, uh, 60 by 80. 80. And I'm yeah. in my room. I'm not a the video okay, games or something like yeah. that, you know? And uh, I'm yeah. in my room, I hear my mom yeah. shout. out, yeah. And like, yeah. I run, and I'm like, what my girl just the man. And I and run I to the back of the room, the back of the trailer, and she's on top of the washing machine, standing up. I don't know how I could move like that, right? <laughs> and so, so she's standing she up on top of the washing machine, laundry. and I'm like, what happened? And she's just like, a, a mouse. <laughs> and I look down, and there's this little field mouse, about this big. <laughs> and, and she's up on top of the washing machine. And this is the reality when we hit a wall or a struggle or a tension or a crisis in our lives, is we just want to get out of things. It.
1: It's not
0: fun. It's not comfortable.
1: This is the reason
0: why it's called getting in a wall, because it feels like you get it a wall. This is the problem. It's as if we try to get out as quickly as possible. We do not allow the struggle, the hardship, the dark night of the soul, we don't allow it to have its perfect work in us. For okay. us to journey through the wall and experience transformation means that we have to trust God.
1: It means, it means we have to humble ourselves.
0: It means, it it means we have to, have to be patient.
1: It means we have, have
0: to wait on, on God. God. I don't know how you win, it's hard to wait. Especially when you're between a rock and a a a a hard place, it feels like it. This is why David can say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He waited on God. This is why Job can say, Now my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job has experienced some transformation now, waiting on God through this struggle that he found himself in. Mm -hmm. Job, his wall journey through, he came out transformed on the other side. Now, -hmm. I'm going to say this this morning. Look, just because you might find yourself here today going through a wall, or or hitting a wall, going through struggle, in a hardship, does not mean that you've done something wrong.
1: It It does not not mean that God God has
0: abandoned you. It does does not mean you've been dealt a bad hand, or even that the devil is messing with you. God God just might be doing a work in you. He might might be bringing bringing transformation within the core of who you are, forming you more and more into the image of His Son. I want to close with this last. Passage of a 2. don't have it on the screen because it's really a prayer, but I don't want to read it over you. 1 Peter 5, he says this. And as I read it, just so would you receive it, alright? 1 Peter 5 says, Yes, you will suffer for a short time, but after that, God will make everything right. He will make you strong, he will support you and keep you from falling. He is the God who gives all grace.
1: He chose you
0: to share in his glory and in Christ. That glory will continue forever. All power is his forever. Amen. 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 Peter, God. Struggle, hardship, suffering, beginning of all will come. And to journey through the wall, we're going to have to wait on God and keep looking to him and then to stay there rather than trying to get out of it as fast as possible. And when we do that, God meets us there, walks with us through the valley, brings about transformation within us, shapes us and forms us more and more into his son. And then you can come in here for 20 years and say, I have become more and more like Jesus along the way. So, as we close, one observation I want to make. Can you have a question to that one? An observation of how do you know that you're being transformed when you are faced with a struggle, a crisis, or a hardship? Right? Because it can sound about theoretical. Like, but how do you know your you're experiencing transformation? We like, do four things. One is, you have a greater level of brokenness. You realize that you're not perfect, that you don't have it all together, that you're in need of God's grace in your life more and more. You're aware of a greater brokenness from you. This is why Jesus says in uh, the big attitude, blessed with the Lord's spirit, first. Blessed are those who harm, for they will be comforted. You know your students in transformation when you have when you're aware of a greater level of brokenness. That's one. And the second yeah. one is you have a greater appreciation for the unknown. You have a greater appreciation for history.
1: You might be going to something like, I don't know what this is.
0: Now. I don't know why I feel this way. But you, you get to get a place where you're like, God, I'm going to trust you in it. You have a greater appreciation for the The third one is a deeper ability to wait for God. This is not you up here being transformed. You have a deeper ability to wait. And the fourth one is you have a greater detachment, a greater level of detachment. What a greater level of detachment means is you don't need all the things to make you happy. You don't need all the people around you to make you happy. You don't need your eggs to come out just right with the yellowy and the white goes. You understand? Like Like there's a greater greater level of detachment,
1: and you get to a place that you're content to just
0: have enough. Peace is zero, says, is of zero arrow and the ocean helps to his And He says detachment is the great secret of the interior.